Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 167 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we chat with Jano Milbacher, the garden tourist, all about the recent fling tours of gardens in the greater Philadelphia, Pennsylvania region. The plant profile is on Jujube, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with the last word on Cooking with Apples by Christy Page at the Food Gardening Network. This episode, we're joined by Jana Milbacher. She is an avid gardener, garden designer, author, and speaker in the Metro Boston, Massachusetts area. Welcome, Jana. Hi, Kathy. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me to to, uh, share this podcast with you. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest. And we spent some time this past weekend at the what's now called GB Fling or Garden Bloggers Fling, touring some amazing gardens in the Philadelphia area. So we're going to talk about those gardens we saw and our experiences at the Fling. Uh, But before we get into all of that good stuff, uh, we always ask our guests here at the Garden DC podcast were they born with chlorophyll in their veins and a green thumb, or did that come later in life? Well, I guess in a way it's a combination of both. Um, I did, uh, I do have some garden genes um, in my background because uh, I, uh, my, my dad's side of the family was three generations of vegetable farmers in the Czech Republic. But um, I did not live there very long. We emigrated here, and neither one of my parents really inherited that gene. So um, I came to gardening really kind of later um, as a teenager, and then mostly in my 20s. Um, I was really fortunate that um, we moved, uh, when I was 13, we moved um, next, uh, next door to um, the Fuss family in Connecticut, and um, Donna Fuss was... Um, a real um, avid, she had become an avid gardener as a stay-at-home mom, and she was particularly interested in roses. And over time, she and her husband, Mike, became um, rosarians. They entered rose shows. They had a lovely rose garden on their property. And eventually, um, Donna became consulting rosarian to the Elizabeth Park Rose Garden in Connecticut. So I really feel that um, she was a very enthusiastic person um, loved to share her um, knowledge of plants, and I really feel that she was very influential uh, to me as a gardener. Um, and then I really didn't begin gardening until I was in my 20s, and uh, uh, we, we were living in the city, um, had a very long porch on the back of our apartment, and uh, I started to want to just decorate it for the summer season with plants. And before you knew it, there was hardly any room to sit on the porch because it was just filled with annuals and hibiscus and roses and peonies that I was trying to all grow in pots and then over over winter indoors. So that's kind of how I got started with gardening. 
And then what made you pursue it as a profession? Well, um, once we moved to our house, which was um, just over 30 years ago, I really became an avid gardener. I was really, I became very passionate about gardening as a hobby. And I started taking courses. I joined gardening organizations. And uh, about 12 years ago, I decided to transition uh, my career from being a graphic designer and uh, marketing consultant to, um, to doing garden design for um, primarily residential customers. And um, so I really, um, I really made my, my newfound hobby and my love of gardening uh, into my second career. And at that time, I also began speaking to garden groups and, um, and then eventually uh, writing the books as well. Hmm. And let's talk about a little bit about your books and the content and why you wrote them. Sure. Um, so my books are basically garden travel guides. Um, I found as I was giving lectures to garden clubs here in Massachusetts that Many of that, many of the, um, the local folks really didn't know about gardens outside of Massachusetts. And there are so many wonderful places to visit um, in New England and then further afield in the Northeast, really in, in all parts of the country. And so it first became a lecture that I was giving about gardens um, in the Northeast, uh, going basically from Maine down to Philadelphia. And then uh, it, it was a very popular lecture. And so I decided to create uh, a travel guide to those gardens. There wasn't really anything out there. Um, and um, it really has become kind of a popular, um, popular guide. Um, these are, and then I kind of went from there, um, focused uh, my second guide just on the New England gardens because there were so many that I wanted to feature. And then I wrote a book about Florida. And you're working on another one now. Yes, yes. My The one I'm currently working on is to the Mid-Atlantic area. And so that's going to be um, New York, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, as well as Delaware. And so um, I've been to all of the gardens. And um, I was really happy that the uh, garden bloggers fling was happening in that area, um, just so I could... Um, go back to some of those gardens and also discover some other uh, new public uh, private gardens that I um, did not know. Um, so it was a great opportunity to revisit the area and to also expand uh, my knowledge of the private gardens there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved revisiting some of the old favorites and some of the new discoveries that we'll be talking about. And before we turn our discussion fully over to the fling, uh, we, our listeners like to know about your own garden. Like, what do you grow now at home and, and what plants are you passionate about? Yeah, so um, I, I live about a half an hour west of Boston and um, the property is about uh, just over an acre and a half. Um, we, the house is about 100 years old. So when we first moved in, there were a lot of very mature shade trees. Um, Unfortunately, many of them were Norway maples and Norway spruce and um, other trees that can be kind of difficult to garden with. But um, I, I began uh, with a passion for perennials and annuals and roses. And over time, that, of course, expanded. I think that's sort of a, 
a way that many gardeners begin. They start with the annuals because they want colorful flowers in the summer. Then they kind of become interested in perennials and then finally shrubs and trees. Um, so I, I kind of took that route as well. And um, as far as the gardens that I have now, I would say they're kind of, they're a real mix of, um, of all those different types of plants. Uh, I have, you know, I've gone through many phases of collecting like many gardeners do. Uh, one of my loves, for instance, is hellebores. Um, so I have quite a few hellebores on my property. I love peonies, so I have a lot of peonies. Um, I joined the Rhododendron Society recently, so I am um, starting to add more unusual rhododendrons uh, to my garden. But it's really a blend. I, I do have a mix of both sun and shade, and it's a very flat property. Um, so um, with a lot of quite a bit of open space, there's no woodland or anything like that. So I really have a lot of space um, to garden in. Um, and then in the last few years, I've also become a lot more interested in edibles again. And uh, so I added some fruit trees, um, pears, uh, Chinese pears, apples, uh, uh, mulberry tree, and a few different things, uh, peaches and apricots as well. And then I've really um, expanded my vegetable garden as well. So there's kind of a little bit of everything I would say on my property. Yeah, with an acre, it sounds like you have room for all of that. Yes, yeah. And there's also a small pond, um, and I'm really enjoying um, trying out different water lilies in the pond. Um, so it, it's kind of a blend of all the, you know, I love a lot of different shade perennials, uh, spring ephemerals, um, mm -hmm. as well as the, uh, the sun-loving perennials um, that I mentioned earlier, and, and climbers. Mm -hmm. I love uh, clematis. Uh, I've been collecting those as well. So um, lots of different types of plants. It's really, it's really um, kind of an experimental place for me. Um, as a garden designer, I really try to uh, recommend plants to others that I have grown myself. Um, so uh, a lot of plants I really like to just trial in my own garden and see how they perform um, in Massachusetts. Uh, and then I can recommend them to others and include them in my designs. And so what is your zone and what's your soil like? Well, I would say I think we're classified now as um, 6A, used to be 5B. Um, and um, I would say I sort of have average, kind of average soil. Um, of course, um, all of New England has quite a bit of stone. So you, you really can't dig a hole without coming upon field stone. Um, so uh, there's that, um, but it's kind of average. It's not too, it's not too wet. Um, it's not too dry. And um, I think partly because it's an old property, um, it's kind of, um, the, you know, the soil has not been used for gardening, but um, it's kind of average garden soil, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of us in the mid-Atlantic can definitely relate to that, except for, you know, some of us have rocky soil. Uh, but most of us will have clay um, or sandy soil, depending on what side of the coastal plain or Piedmont you're in. And you named two groups of plants that I just want to touch on really quick because I work with the International Water Gardening Society. I'm happy that you're collecting water lilies 
and you mentioned the rhododendron society and i work with the azalea society so i'm going to like put a plug in to add a few more azaleas if you can squeeze them in oh sure sure (laughs) and that's you know um i love um i love plant societies because that's really where you can learn so much about a particular type of plant um I did not join the rhododendron society because I was an expert in rhododendrons. I joined because I wanted to learn from other Mm -hmm. experts there. And it's really been a wonderful opportunity um, for me um, to really be surrounded by people that are passionate about those plants and um, people that breed them and create um, interesting new hybrids. So Mm -hmm. I definitely would recommend membership in a plant society, because I feel like you, you gain so much from that. I agree. And it's by no means, like you said, you don't have to be a collector already or an expert. You're going to get access to plants you can't get anywhere else um, and new breeding and information. And just because it's called say a rose society or a clematis society, they're going to be passionate about all plants. Nobody just has just one kind of plant in their garden, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So you really get, um, and um, they're just um, such knowledgeable people. So it's really, um, it's just been a, a fabulous experience. So I definitely recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plants people are the best people. Yes. So saying that, let's turn to our long weekend in the philadelphia region with the fling and it was previously known as the garden bloggers fling it is rebranded to just the fling now and the tagline is bringing garden social media together so it used to be that uh until a couple years ago you had to have a blog that was active for at least six months prior to the fling that happened that year to be able to participate and by active i think it was a certain amount of posts in that six months or so period um and then now i think it's expanded to if you have an instagram or a TikTok or a youtube um focused on gardening then you would qualify to attend the fling yes and it's um it was uh, my first garden bloggers fling or the fling and uh, it was just a really wonderful experience Um, there were about a hundred of us there from all parts of the country as well as australia and england and canada and um, really just um, a really warm group of uh, very friendly and also very knowledgeable folks Um, and i really really enjoyed meeting everyone and um, just sharing stories about our own gardens about how we got into gardening and what we do professionally. So it was really a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this was my fourth fling. I'd done Madison, Wisconsin, Denver, Colorado. And then the fling was in the Washington DC region. I think it was about five years ago now. And I think, I don't know for sure that this is the 15th fling. I don't remember which number of fling this is, Uh, but there are a lot of people who go every year. Like this is their vacation This is their connection to their plant friends. Um, It started off as a group of garden bloggers who were corresponding on each other's blogs or commenting on each other's blogs and then decided we want to get together for the weekend of seeing gardens in Austin, Texas. And and Pam Pennick is the person behind that who put that together for the first one. And it was so popular (laughs) that it has grown and grown. Um, So 
this one was about a hundred people. I would say what was funny to me about this year's Yana was that it was, I think, a ninety-five female and a few males sprinkled right, in. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it usually is more couples, and you know, there's some blogs and things that are done as couples, and there's certainly a lot of uh, male social media garden influencers, but only a few were in attendance. But it was, still, you know, it was interesting just to observe that. Sure, sure. And so our first stop of our first day was at Longwood Gardens. And so we arrived around a little after noon and they took us first to Longwood Gardens production facility side um, where we picked up our name badges and they gave us a behind the scenes, really quick tour of that newish production facility that's only been around for a couple years. And it was a state of the art greenhouse. I was very impressed, Yana. Oh, I was too. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've gone to Longwood Gardens many times. Um, so this was a real treat for me to see, uh, to see behind the scenes, how they, everything from the way that they pot their plants uh, to the way that they, um, they trim the bonsai uh, or the way that they make those uh, wonderful hanging baskets um, that are just huge. Um, and uh, really every, you know, th those greenhouses are just so custom tailored to their displays. It was really fascinating to see um, how they, you know, were able to customize all the machinery um, and um, and really um, it, it was uh, incredibly impressive what they were able to do. Mm -hmm. And because of the timing we were there, we got to see the mum show. The chrysanthemums were just yeah. starting uh, to be transitioned to the conservatory at Longwood. So they were having a succession of the mums that would be in bloom over several weeks. And a lot of them were in topiary style or spider forms or the, like the single mums that have the huge head. Um, and that was just fascinating to learn about how some of that is done. I don't know if your group, Yana, that you were in, we were split into groups of about 10 or so. Um, the guy who was in charge of the mums talked about how he kind of massaged the stems. Because to, to me, I don't know about you, Yana, but when you bring home a pot of mums from the store, like the supermarket, those branches snap off in a hot second. Right. <laughs> like, right. And I was looking at these topiaries and the way they're trained, and I was like, they seem so brittle. But he basically was saying they stop watering them for a couple days Mm -hmm. And then they warm up their hands and then they kind of massage the stem and break the interior, like kind of like yes, massage right. it back and forth. Right. The, the interior cells break, but not the outside cells break. And I was like, what? That blew my mind. Yes. Well, the, uh, I've, I've seen, I've been to the chrysanthemum show a couple of times, uh, but I just had, you know, I just had no idea what went into creating these plants and the topiaries. So it was, it was really fascinating to me. Um, Jason, who was, uh, who's the person in charge of those mums, I guess he's been doing it for about 20 years now. And um, it, it was, uh, you know, just, uh, they had so many different, um, different types of uh, topiaries and uh, cascading mums that, some of them were going to be wrapped around giant columns within the conservatory. Um, others were going to be made into the, the giant globes. So it was really just, just fascinating to see what they need to do. 
I mean, basically it takes a year for them um, to, to grow the mums and get them ready uh, for their October installation. Um, and uh, just the technical knowledge involved and all of the, the daily care that goes into you know, training them and, um, you know, uh, some of them need to have their side branches taken off to create those perfect, uh, tall, large-headed um, flowers. Others, of course, you know, you're doing something completely different. You're, you're removing buds or um, there's, there's just so much that goes into it. It was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can do the whole hour just on that. But we have so many gardens to go yes. through. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like we're going to have short shrift to some of these uh, other things we saw at the greenhouses, including that amazing bonsai collection that they have going and yes. how they were gifted a local um, Kennett Square gardener gave them his world-class collection. And then Tim at the water garden showed us the amazing Victoria water lily pads and yes. talked about water gardening. He did such a great job. He's such a wonderful huge personality um and because of the construction happening now at the longwood conservatory all the water gardening those big beautiful water lilies and lotus and all of that has been moved to the production facility so if you uh, go to longwood now you won't see those victoria water lily currently right right that that um i and that's something that i'm really looking forward to when they finish construction and uh, there will be incredible new water gardens um, surrounding new conservatories that are being built right now. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to um, how that's going to turn out. Um, the, the water lily collection there has really been one of my favorite attractions when you visit in the summer because um, there are just so many different types of water lilies that they raise there. Uh, and I especially love the Victoria water lily that we were looking at with that um, grows. It can have leaves that are 10 feet in diameter and uh, they're just fascinating plants. And uh, Longwood is actually really um, well known for hybridizing those water lilies. So I can't wait to see those back in the garden. Um, and uh, hopefully it will be either next year or the year after, I believe uh, that's mm-hmm. that will be completed. Yeah, so after we went from the production facility, they took us to the main Longwood and then sat us down in the auditorium for a little bit to talk about those new conservatory plans and some of the build out they're doing. Um, And then they released us into the garden. So we had a few hours to run around and take pictures and experience Longwood at its finest. It was a beautiful day that day. That was a gorgeous day, yes. I love being at Longwood. late in the season like that, because that is really when, when, when you visit the flower walk, uh, that's uh, several hundred feet long and is kind of one of the original parts of the garden. Uh, that's really um, at its prime right now because mm-hmm. it's filled with annuals and tropicals that have reached their mature height. And uh, they're all in just in, in beautiful bloom with colors that kind of uh, rain. They, they start with blue, but the, at the beginning of the walk and then they go towards maroon and red and then orange yellow and finally white so that's really when that flower walk is at its uh at its glory so it was great to see it there um in september mm-hmm. yeah always great all times of year especially in spring with the bulbs but now yeah. when it's mature at the end of summer it's so full and gorgeous and then they treated us to dinner in the beer tent 
So kind of a German themed dinner and then to the fountain show. And our evening was the music of the ballet, I think of Romeo and Juliet. Yes. It was just stunning. I had, uh, I had never seen a whole show at, at night. I had just seen bits and pieces of one. So this was just, it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I would say you don't need to be a gardener. Like that part of that aspect of Longwood Gardens is something that everybody should experience. Right. right, For sure. Mm -hmm. And so that was a long and full and wonderful day at Longwood. And we have to thank Carl Garsons, who was a previous guest on this podcast, um, who organized the fling this year he did such a wonderful job and he's with Longwood Gardens yes yeah I thought Carl did an amazing job putting together an, a wonderful itinerary for us and uh and also just kind of giving us little previews be- even before the fling happened of some of the gardens that we would be seeing um he really I think generated a lot of excitement for the event and uh definitely did not disappoint Mm-hmm. And stayed flexible because as the weekend went on, we had um, the storm, what do we call it, a tropical storm, Ophelia, right, move in. Right. So our first two days were beautiful weather. And then Saturday and Sunday, we had on and off rain. But, you know, we're gardeners. We're hardy. We're used to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So our second day started off early with a pickup at 8 a.m. And half of us went to Andrew Bunting's Belvedere and half of us went to Charles Cresson's Hedgley Spring. Um, Did you start with Andrew Bunting? I did. I did. Okay. So you were on the same bus as me then. So Andrew's been a, a... past guest also on the Garden DC podcast a few times. So it was such a pleasure for me to actually get to see his home garden for once. And what did you think of it? Well, I thought, um, I thought it was great. It was a real plant collector's garden. Um, He had transformed his front yard into a gravel garden, uh, which was really very unusual with um, the gravel garden had a patio, a central patio a beautiful pot of these giant elephant ears anchoring mm-hmm. it. And it was just um, very unique. Uh, so that was just, just the beginning. And then mm-hmm. you stepped inside and there were just um, so many different types of plants. And uh, one of the things that I really took away from the, those all of the Philadelphia area gardens um, were how many tropical plants they use as ornamentals throughout the garden that really, uh, that are particularly effective in the late part of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, I think uh, a lot of gardeners kind of garden for June and July for that, for the color that you get from the perennials. And then, the, you know, the garden can get a little flat later in the season. But if you use tropicals, they're at their um, showiest, you know, late in the season in September, um, late August and September. So that's really what I saw in many of these gardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that so many had the hardy banana. Yeah. And oh. yeah, and those big, big, big alocasia, colocasias, usually in a pot, maybe they right. were bringing those in. Right. Uh, cannas, a lot of really large cannas, mm-hmm. and many beautiful dahlias, too. So a lot of great tropical plants, which, of course, you know, can't stay outside for the winter, but. Um, they definitely just add a lot of drama to the garden. Mm-hmm. And so from Andrews, we went to Charles Cresson, Hedgley Spring. 
Um, these are both private gardens in Swarthmore. They've opened their gardens in the past to groups or garden clubs or for like open gardens for the Garden Conservancy. But these would be by permission only, these two gardens. That's right. What was your impression of Charles's garden? Um, well, of course, every garden has its own surprises. Uh, one, of my, the, my, one of my favorite things that I saw there was a pomegranate tree. Uh, fairly large in size with many pomegranates on it. So I don't think I'd ever been to a garden that had uh, pomegranate fruits. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So that was really fun. Um, and, and then he also had some wonderful passion flowers uh, and the passion fruits. Um, so, uh, and uh, this was a garden that really had um, a nice combination of edibles as well as ornamental plants a big vegetable garden as well. Um, and uh, beautiful, just beautiful, unusual flowering plants. Um, there were alstroemerias there. There were um, just gorgeous anemones in bloom at this time. Um, just many, many um, lovely plants. And lots of little bulbs I saw yes. tuck, tucked everywhere. Yes, I saw that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to mention those later when we talk about uh, the uh, Cyclamen collection. <laughs> oh, we'll, yeah. We'll get to that Get to that in a minute. But yeah, yeah, I think a lot of these people are, are similar plant collectors of some of those tiny little bulbs, especially that right. are winter and fall blooming. Yes. Um, so we got back on the bus and then we went to Michael and Simple's Create a Scene in Malvern, PA. And Create a Scene is the name of, I think, their landscaping business or design business Um, and that's partially open to the public how I guess you could describe maybe certain days they're open to the public yeah and that that was uh, again it was a very creative garden a lot of really fun uh, accents statuary uh, seating um, just uh, a lot of fun accents Uh, some uh, wonderful seating area right across from the house um, that had uh, couches and tables and chairs um, in, inside of a pergola. Uh, and it was bordered by a pond on one side. And then of course, the um, they also had a fabulous um, two-story greenhouse in the back of the property. And uh, that was a real treat. Lots of beautiful orchids there, palm trees and uh, other blooming tropicals. So that was really fun to see. Mm-hmm. And this was the garden that I think was most similar to my style in that there's no rhyme and reason for a lot of stuff in their garden. (laughs) They just stick it all in where they can. There's a lot of like um, garden whimsy and statuary. They look like they collect gargoyles. Right. Simple makes a lot of things. He had these metal cats he was making and different um, structures that they were using and selling um so it was kind of a i don't want to call it a mishmash kind of garden but you know definitely eclectic eclectic yeah with a lot of whimsy exactly mm-hmm. yeah a lot of their personality and they you could tell they they love plants yeah um then we moved on to and i'm gonna probably butcher her name uh quick lunch at wegman's then we went to carol verhaki um yeah. lasting landscapes in berwin pa Again, another private garden of a garden designer. Yes, yes. And there, um, I loved uh, when we walked up to her house, um, 
I loved the foundation plantings that Carol had planted. It was a um, combination of hydrangeas and uh, beautiful glossy abelia. Now, abelia has not grown um, as much here in Massachusetts as uh, further down south. Um, and, but I, they were, the abelias were in full bloom and they were just, just covered with pink flowers. Absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had those. She had beautiful. They were um, ordered by white anemones. Um, it was really, uh, it was just a very different garden from the one we had just been to. Uh, much more of a kind of an organized garden, um, uh, but a lot of great collections of plants. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of shade towards the back with yes. some big mature trees. And this is like a big suburban lot um, right. with like a kind of a low slung house. And she'd totally redone the house and gardens. Um, and I love the before and after pictures. Yes. Those were yeah, that great, was a great to see. Idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The place throughout the garden so you could see what the transformation that had happened. Yeah. Like they were literally large photos mounted on a sign instead of right. like a little book on a table that you might gather around. Like, and so you looked at the scene on the picture and you could see the transformation right in front of you. Right. Exactly. And she had divided the property into individual garden rooms almost. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them, she had beautiful shade gardens. Um, I, of course, uh, being a hellebore lover, I immediately focused on the hundreds of hellebores that were on one of the slopes um, mm-hmm. in the shade area. Um, she had um, plants like Tricertus, uh, which is one, um, one of my favorite fall bloomers, which was in uh, blooming there. Um, Hakoni grasses, uh, lots of different hostas. Um, so, you know, lots of different garden, um, garden areas and island gardens throughout the, um, throughout the backyard. Mm-hmm. And lots of good seating and a wonderful moon gate. Yes. Um, thought that yes. was just stunning out of stone and a pond. And, and yeah. a pond. Well, yeah. love those water features. And I do have to say now for our listeners, if you're like, what, like, and trying to picture some of the things we're describing, um, you can look at my Instagram at WDC Gardener. You can also look at the many other fling attendees who have posted their photos from these gardens in the last week or so. And you'll find them mainly on Instagram at hashtag GBFling23. And some people used hashtag GBFling23. So I would look under both hashtags in your search and you'll come up with hundreds of photos from these gardens to peruse. Yes. Yep. And so I was going to say, Jana, that we ended the day Friday at Chanticleer, which is always a special treat. It certainly is. Um, that that was the um, really the first garden that I visited uh, in the Philadelphia area 10 years ago. And um, it's one that I make a point to visit at least once a year when I go back. Um, one of really one of the most creative gardens um, that I have been to. Uh, their plant combinations are just just gorgeous. I would say that the uh, the combinations that they come up with as well as their container plantings um, mm-hmm. are absolutely just stunning. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, can't say enough about Chanticleer. <laughs> just like, yeah, I could go on and on. I think the gentians I took pictures of by the ruins garden are some of the best photos I've taken on the trip. They're just gorgeous. Maybe I'll feature them for a flower Friday tomorrow. 
And the staff have done such a wonderful job with these creative um, seating throughout the garden. There's always somewhere to sit and peruse and a great viewpoint. And of course the seating is made by the the gardeners as well, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, there, every single piece is um, different and unusual uh, or everything from, um, there are all different types of chairs, but then even just the wrought iron railings that they have made that are throughout the garden, water fountains, as well as the plant list boxes that are throughout. Every single one of them is a little, is special, a, a unique design and handmade by the gardeners on the property. Mm-hmm. And I think special and unique really encapsulates Chanticleer. Yes. And my, one of my favorite things there this year um, for this uh, this trip were the autumn crocuses. I don't mm-hmm. know if you got to that part of the garden, but um, they just had hundreds of autumn crocuses naturalized in the lawn. And it was just, just gorgeous. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is my first time going to the top of that and looking down that lawn. Right. Usually I'd always be at the bottom looking up it where it's kind of a lawn of, you know, as you said, thousands of autumn crocus popping up. But this time I had the luxury of a little bit more time to run through the garden. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So that was, you know, I think with that, that's the way it is with gardens. You know, each time you go, something different strikes you because you're noticing something different. You're there at a different, in a different month, or you're just, um, Sometimes just different plants come on your radar at different times. And right now, um, autumn crocuses are on my radar. I just uh, put in my first autumn crocuses in my own garden. So mm-hmm. I really focused on those. Mm-hmm. And we were there for a few hours and they also treated us to dinner and live music and dancing. was. Yeah. And that, so that was an extra bonus treat on top of that. Um, so that was Friday evening, a full and wonderful day. So Saturday morning, the rains came. Yes. And my first stop, and this is where we did a dosi do again, was at John Lonsdale's Edgewood. Did you start yes, with that too. one? Yes, okay. So we'll start with that. And then the other bus went to David Culp's garden. So we'll, we'll transfer back to that in a second. So John Lonsdale's Edgewood in Exton, PA, he has kind of a home nursery and he does mail order and goes out to local festivals in the Mid-Atlantic to sell his plant collection. So I'll let you, uh, Yana, describe that plant collection and garden. Sure. So um, what we were seeing, I believe that he collects uh, both snowdrops and hardy cyclamen. And of course, um, the snowdrops were all underground, but um, the hardy cyclamen were blooming uh, in his greenhouses. Uh, and I, I, I had, I've, made several trips to the UK to look at gardens and um, in September, and I would see these hardy cyclamen in many of the public gardens in Britain. So it was a real treat to see them really in, you know, to see hundreds of different varieties uh, in his greenhouses. Uh, John hybridizes cyclamens. Um, they grow from a, um, a, a corn basically and um, if you were to buy them uh, you know from a mail order nursery now I mean generally the corn is about the size of a chestnut I would say but what I didn't realize we, we were seeing these large pots just filled with cyclamen flowers 
And I come to find out that's really just one quorum. The quorum just gets bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. So some of the quorums that we were seeing in these pots were probably 10 inches in diameter. Uh, and you know, of course, the plants were about 25 years old at that point. Well, that, that was a real treat for me to visit those greenhouses and uh, see hundreds of different cyclamens blooming. Mm-hmm. And we should say that this is just a home, regular house, um, right. along narrow, along a slope. So yeah. he has this kind of garden that goes up a berm. So that's right. where all those little tiny um, galanthus, the um, snowdrops are, are in for great drainage. And the cyclamen also have great woody drainage there too. And the greenhouses that we're describing are the size of... Um, I'm going to say smaller than a box truck, each of them. Right. Yeah. So we're talking small greenhouses and the cyclamen are tiny. So you can pack a lot in there. Right. That's right. And John actually hybridizes for, uh, for the leaves, not, not so much for the flowers. He's trying to get lots of different, of course, cyclamens have beautiful patterned foliage. And so he's really hybridizing for the foliage. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a real treat for me. You know, again, this is a plant collector with a, with a real passion for specific types of plants. So Mm -hmm. that was great. And he's made his passion, his full-time job, which is amazing. Yes. And yeah, it's hard for me to focus on the foliage because we were just looking at all those tiny flowers. (laughs) (laughs) And also we should say in his British accent, I think he said cyclamen. I'm never going to say it's always going to be cyclamen to me too. Um, So then the rain started to lit up a little bit as we arrived at David Culp's garden. And that is the famous Brandywine Cottage in Downington, PA, which he does open up to garden groups and tours um, with previous arrangement and has written a book or two about all the wonderful things in his garden. Was that your first visit there, Yana? It was actually my second. Okay. Uh, I had been there a year ago in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it, you know, that was, it's always a treat to see this garden because I have read both of his books um, and uh, they were just, you know, they were both just wonderful books, um, really took you through. The first one was basically a year in the garden and it just took you through the seasons. And um, so it, it was, it was a real treat. So I had seen the garden in June before and now I was seeing it in September. So of course it was quite different. Again, uh, uh, many of the tropical plants uh, in the borders really made those flower borders look totally different with their large foliage. And uh, just uh, everywhere you looked, there were just special little collections. Um, There were little orchids Uh, in one area. I saw a um, a clivia with striped foliage, which I had never seen anywhere before. So that was really fun. What did you, what were some of the things that you liked there, Kathy? Well, I just like hanging out with David because well, he's just <laughs> so wonderful. Um, but yeah, I snuck in the back where he has his little um, galanthus beds, his breeding beds in the back. And it was such a damp day and he yeah. had gone through such a dry summer. So, you know, there was a little bit of wear and tear because of both of that, because of the mud that day and the drain. But it was still such a beautiful garden despite all of that. And then David told me a little bit about a garden he's working on for the town 
um, that will be a public garden and open to everyone called the Gardens at Bondsville Mill. Um, oh. And I think he said next spring they'll be having their official, like, real, real opening. I think they already did maybe a ribbon cutting and started planting, and you can already walk through it. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to coming back to David's Garden and then now visiting that that mill garden as well. He said yeah. it will be predominantly natives, which his garden is not, is a mix of everything. And of course the hellebores that he's bred and um, the galanthus, of course, that he collects like a madman. Right. Um, so we didn't get to see those because we were a little early for those. Right. <laughs> which I'm, I'm kind of glad about that though. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, um, so we got back on the bus and both buses headed over to Wynn Eden um, and that's in Chad's Ford, PA. And that's a private garden that um, is a hosta collection is one way yeah. we can call it. But it's also way, way more than that. Exactly. And I was actually so excited to see this garden because um, a friend of mine had been there um, when it was um, on tour for the National um, Hosta Society convention about 10 years ago, I guess. And um, she um, she had pictures of it in her lecture about hostas. She's also a hosta collector. And so I just, I remember vividly the picture of his garden slope, which goes from the house down to a pond. And it is uh, landscaped with, I would say about 15,000 hostas. Uh, and it looks like a river flowing down because the hostas are uh, in different colors. So you get sort of the striation. Uh, so I was just uh, so excited to see this garden in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have to admit, I've used that same photo of that same slope of those curving hosta streams in my talks many times. And I had visited over 12 years ago. So I was so excited to see the expansion of his gardens to a yeah. whole new area of his property and to, to take photos of the hostas again and everything else on property. I mean, it is just amazing. And they do have their own website um, online and it's win Eden W Y N and then Eden as in paradise um, that has kind of a portfolio that you can go through and look at different aspects of his garden. Um, especially if you're a hosta lover but, right. you know, Hasta, lover of any gardens. Really, a, bamboo, a, a beautiful bamboo grove. Uh, I think he has three ponds on the property mm -hmm. and uh, woodland walks all around them. So it's just um, it's just a, a real, a real, very different kind of garden, kind of much more naturalistic than many of the others that we had seen uh, up until that point. But mm -hmm. just lovely. Yeah, you just feel like you're taking a long walk in an enchanted wood. Yes. Like Definitely. it's, it's more experiential type garden. Um, so then we, uh, had a quick lunch at Wegmans again, and then we terrorized terrain, um, right. <laughs> which is, um, a renowned garden center slash nursery slash lifestyle store. So you gotta hit that when you're in that area. And then both buses went on to Owl Creek farm in Westchester, PA. Another incredible stop. Um, this was really, uh, this property was a lot about flowers uh, and a lot about container gardening. Mm -hmm. um, 
In fact, we were told that they had over 80 containers uh, throughout their gardens. And the gardens were just magnificent in many different ways, but um, the, uh, the containers were um, filled with tropicals, uh, annuals, perennials, and they were all grouped to create these uh, vignettes throughout the garden and to frame a lovely, um, a lovely gravel patio in the back. Um, so that was a real treat uh, to, to me. For me, it was a very colorful garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was in a really interesting kind of a, a, a meadow uh, surroundings. Because it had originally been, I, be, I believe it was a farm at one point, yep. a little farmland. And then, uh, and uh, now uh, some of that had been allowed to become a meadow. And so um, it was this lovely, colorful garden in the middle of a meadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a private estate and you would you kind of enter it through this winding road through that grassy meadow, tall meadows, and then the house is revealed to you with the kind of a, a surrounding garden. And I love they had a gated fenced, like deer fenced off uh, mm-hmm. vegetable garden. So I don't yeah. know why, but I was like, I hadn't seen so many vegetable gardens during this trip. So I was spending a lot of time taking pictures in there too. Well, I am always fascinated what other vegetable gardeners do um, as far as how they grow their plants, how they what they use to trellis their plants on, how they keep the critters out. So it's always uh, I always uh, appreciate visiting other vegetable gardens as well. And this one was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything was you know done to perfection. And I do like how the um, homeowner had come out and greeted us and told us that he was all about shrubs and trees from his nursery background uh, right. as a plantsman um, with Connor Pyle and star roses and he had a conifer collection there too. But his wife was the one who I think added all those annual containers and it is, you know, the better for it. It's just an explosion, as you said, of color. Yes, it is. Uh, it was also a place where I saw pawpaw trees with mm-hmm. fruit. Um, and of course those are, um, native uh, it's a native fruit tree um here in the united states and um i've tried them i've tried growing them a couple of times but uh but the deer got to them a couple of times so i i haven't had luck yet but uh it's still still on my radar you know to add more of the pawpaws to my garden so that was it was fun to see them there mm-hmm. and we finished that day at stonely a natural garden. So we had a visit and dinner and then a presentation of next year's fling, which will be in the Seattle Puget Sound area. Yes. And Stonely uh, was a was a real surprise for me too, because um, I had seen it when it was, it's really only been uh, open to the public for about five years now. Mm-hmm. And I saw it the first year that they opened and it's a beautiful large property uh, around. It's an estate with a with a mansion, and it had beautiful tr- uh, collection of trees. Uh, but they have added so many plantings in the past five years that um, it's kind of night and day to what I had seen before. So um, I was really just uh, just uh, dumbstruck by how just how much it had changed in that short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like some of the most wonderful trees the tree collection there is incredible so if you love arboretums and old trees and then under plantings with big swaths of native plants that's the new additions and then they share 
um, the foundation there shares the space in the house with a organ collection, as in church organs that have been rescued from churches, I guess, throughout the country, and, and maybe some are there in the basement. So it's a funny juxtaposition, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the house is like circa, I think, um, you know, 1920s Gilded Age type house. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, that was that was one of the uh, really interesting things is to see this this Gilded Age estate, but to um, see that the plantings are all native plants. Um, so you've got this kind of uh, this nice juxtaposition of the formality of the original uh, layout of the garden and, the, and of the house. And then you've got sort of the um, the informality of the plants themselves, kind of a really nice juxtaposition of the two. The plants really soften um, the formality of the house um, and uh, of the, the, the lines of the garden. Mm-hmm. And because it is a fairly new public garden, it's not a lot of, a lot of people's radar yet, but we, it'll be developed in the next 10 to 20 years. I think there'll be huge transitions to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our final day Sunday uh, because it was pouring rain Sunday morning. There was a bit of a change. We were supposed to go to a couple private gardens and we got switched instead to the nearby Scott Arboretum at Swarthmore on the college campus. And that's accessible to anybody. I mean, it's a college campus. You can just go in and walk around anytime. And they have a, a fabulous uh, rose garden there. Uh, and that's really what I had seen, uh, what I'd mostly seen in the past, mm-hmm. along with their, um, uh, the famous amphitheater, um, which uh, I think is one of the main, sort of the focal point of the gardens there. Sadly, that was kind of inaccessible to us at this time because they're doing a lot of construction on campus. But um, I really also enjoyed seeing all the different pocket gardens um, throughout the campus. It seemed like everywhere you turned, there was another little pocket garden. There was uh, they had different themes. Some were shade gardens. Uh, There was uh, an alley of uh, cypresses, I believe. There was a stumpery, which is kind of, uh, which is an old type of garden that's kind of coming back um, to public gardens, particularly. So there, there's a lot to see on that campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the construction made things a little tough because, you know, you had to get around buildings and, you know, a lot of campuses right. are like mazes anyway, but you can stumble on some great little gardens. I love the teaching garden, especially yeah. that that's yeah. the highlight for me, of course, in that grass amphitheater. Yeah. Um, on that steep hillside is, is gorgeous. And then we went on to Jenny Rose Carey's North view um, garden for a visit and lunch. Yes. And that was a, that I loved um, seeing that garden as well. Um, I believe it. I believe she said it was, it's four and a half acres in size, mm. uh, but you feel like you're in a much bigger garden because it is truly divided into garden rooms. And in fact, um, she, you know, they many of the garden rooms had names and they had like um, nice little painted signs telling you where you were. Uh, so it was everything from a little orchard and vegetable garden to uh, pond area. There were several ponds throughout the area. There were children's play spaces, play kind of children's gardens throughout. Um, there was just so much there. <laughs> it was a lot there. Yeah. Um, 
and she has and she's been on the podcast before talking about shade gardening and also her color in the garden so i love the way she has she has a blue and yellow garden she has a pink garden right she has um a purple garden so they're kind of color thematic they're not exclusive but right. they give you an idea right exactly exactly and those incredible structures that she had the garden uh, the garden shed and uh, another garden house uh, they were just to die for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we, who doesn't? Who doesn't love a she should? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and, organized and mm-hmm. just rather, you know, especially on a rainy rainy day, we you know it was a real pleasure ducking in one of those and just sitting there for a few minutes and soaking it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she sheds are the best, especially when they're done so perfectly like hers are. And I was yes. also thinking of Andrew Bunting. He had a he, a he shed, if I, yes. can, <laughs> if I can say that, um, that was really unique. And I liked hanging out in that for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Summer houses are just, they, they are great additions to the garden. So mm-hmm. uh, so if you can, if you have room to put something like that in, it's really worthwhile. Definitely. Yeah. And it gives a, a little like cozy place for the gardener to, to kind of hide out from the world too. Right. And so our next stops, the, the buses split again and half went to Millfleur's, um, Barbara Tiffany's garden in Point, Pont Pleasant, and then Paxson Hill Farm. Which one did you go to first? Uh, I went to Millfleur mm-hmm. first. So I, I had been there before, so it wasn't my first time, but, um, uh, that again is an amazing plant collector's garden. Um, they, uh, Barbara has plants. They're really from all over the world, mm. uh, and uh, it's a the the site itself is uh, very interesting because it was an old mill. Um, so you've got the river there, and uh, most of the gardens are really uh, terraced on a hillside going down to the river. So. Um, so that in itself, you know, was an interesting challenge to overcome when you, as a gardener, because these are steep hillsides, mm-hmm. uh, almost vertical. And, uh, and then she, she created kind of themed planted, planted areas as well, um, from a gold area, like a gold garden to a, a variegated a green and white garden, uh, just lots of different types of themes throughout and lots of rare plants that you wouldn't find in most nurseries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has a small little nursery at the top, kind yes. of where you enter that you can buy some propagation of some of those plants. But as you said, rare finds, you know, some variegated things you won't find anywhere else. She's got some one of a kind stuff. That's amazing. And I would call it a ravine garden. I mean, it is can't emphasize right. how tall that rock wall is and how steep it is down there she's got a little golf cart um so when she does bring groups in and you need assistance to get up and down that hill you can jump on her golf cart with her right right and then then the gardens are accented with um these beautiful uh, this beautiful outdoor furniture that i guess she and her husband designed Mm -hmm. these lovely benches uh wood benches that are really uh unique um so it's um it's really, it's a place where you can, re- you could really spend hours and hours just looking at all of the different plants and uh, trying to figure out, you know, where they came from, what part of the world they came from. And Barbara takes you through personally herself. She's a dynamo and yes. she gives you the stories behind these plants. And, right, you know. right. Which is a lot of fun. And her mm-hmm. favorite color is purple. 
there's mm-hmm. a lot of purple in that garden and she was dressed all in purple and we were there <laughs> yeah she had purple umbrellas um, yeah. for her helpers who were helping people guide through the garden as well and she always bakes cookies for you at the end so always a treat and yeah, yeah she is just i just consider her um just an incredible plants woman she is just yeah. a phenomenon in her own and then Paxson Hill Farm, not too far away in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And that is a nursery and a public garden. So you pay at the nursery desk to go in if you were to just to drive up and go on your own. And to me, Yana, that was the revelation of this whole weekend fling for me. Really? Because oh, okay. for years I've been wanting to go to Paxson Hill. Just to, I just thought it was a nursery. I thought it was a place to buy cool plants. I had no idea of this garden that this, that Bruce has developed there. It's yeah, it's it, again, it's a, it's a place that's divided into these um, really interesting garden rooms. But I think to me, these garden rooms, many of them are all about drama. You know, mm-hmm. they have some kind of an interesting focal point, whether it's a fountain or a piece of sculpture and uh, and then they're just kind of uh, they're surrounded by plant material that really encloses them um, and uh, creates this this individual space and and mm-hmm. acres and acres of gardens. Yes, it just keeps going. And he opened up, um, and I hear this is rare. He opened up the private part of his estate for us, and I'm not sure that many of the flingers even had time to go into that part. Um, but I talked to one of the nursery employees and he led us through to the private side, which I think maybe during a garden conservancy day, he would open up that. And in future years, they said that will also be part of the public garden side and that he has a conifer collection, just stunning. And this beautiful like dry stream bed, which was not so dry during our visit, (laughs) (laughs) but it did show you the great stormwater usage. Um, Yeah of that and just had a cat jump on me <laughs> to get a hug um so yeah paxton hill farm well worth the visit and then we ended sunday with a trip to peddler's village um, which has some you know street plantings and containers but that was mainly um for social shopping and dinner that's right that's right yeah it was just it was really an amazing itinerary i mean we were going from eight in the morning uh until uh, oftentimes nine nine thirty at night, and uh, packing in five gardens a day. So it was really, it was really a wonderful packed itinerary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kudos again to the fling board and to Carl for organizing, and um, we saw some amazing things. I want to pass that on to the Garden DC listeners, and if you are ever in the Philadelphia area, I would highly recommend a stop at a few of these. Definitely. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I can't wait to go again next year. <laughs> I do go down to Philly at least a couple of times a year. So I'm looking forward to it again. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Yana, for sharing your impressions of your first time at the Fling and these Philadelphia area Mid-Atlantic Gardens. Um, and how about sharing with our listeners how they might contact you? Oh, sure. Um, well, uh, you can contact me uh, several ways. Uh, my website is enchantedgardensdesign.com. And that's the that's really kind of the easiest way to get a hold of me. But there's a contact page. Um, and there's also information about lectures that I give about my books and about 
um, garden tours that I'm giving. Uh, I'm also uh, I have I'm also on Instagram at the Garden Tourist, and uh, I have um, two Facebook pages. Uh, one is called Enchanted Gardens, and the other is a group called Garden Tourists, and that's a group that you can join uh, to learn about places to visit primarily and to share places uh, gardens that you have visited as well. Kathy, thank you so much for um, for having me on your podcast. It was a real pleasure, and I so enjoyed sharing uh, the garden uh, the garden blogger spling with you. It was a great experience, and I'm really looking forward to going again next year uh, in Washington State. Thank you, Yana. Jujube plant profile. Jujube, Zizifus jujube, is an attractive tree that produces edible fruits. It is also known as the Chinese date. Jujube trees are hardy to USDA zones 6 to 11. It is self-pollinating, so you only need one in your garden to be able to produce fruits, but a second tree of another variety nearby can produce larger yields. Try planting a lee near a lang. They grow best in full sun and well-draining soils. They prefer a hot summer for the best fruit set. They can also be grown in containers. They are disease and pest-free for the most part. One warning, the tree does have thorns. Pruning is not necessary for the fruit production but it is recommended in winter to shape the tree for ornamental purposes. Depending on the variety, jujube can be round or oval. They have an apple-like taste and texture with more of a berry-type flavor when they are fully ripe. At that point, they are red, soft, and wrinkly. You can store the dried fruits for up to a year. Jujube, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, my sedum autumn joy is blooming and that tells me fall is officially here over at the community garden plot. We have seedlings coming up from our radish and arugula and hope to see the seeds also sprouting soon for our beets, our cilantro, and our spinach. In the local gardening world, a couple of events that you might want to attend in the Washington DC area include the orchid auction of the National Capital Orchid Society. And that is being held Saturday, October 7th at the North Chevy Chase Christian Church on Kensington Branch Parkway in Chevy Chase, Maryland. The auction is open to the public and admission is free. You'll see a wide variety of species and hybrid orchids at the auction and there will be award-winning best of plants all cultivated and grown with great care by the ncos members orchid plants and supplies will also be available for sale 
And you can find out more about that at ncos.us. And the following day, Sunday, October 8th, in the afternoon from 2 to 4.30, is the Rosebush Auction and Rooting Workshop. It's a lively rosebush auction, followed by a hands-on rooting workshop hosted by the Arlington Rose Foundation that is free for ARS members. Non-members have a fee of $18. And this is held at Columbia Gardens Cemetery off of Arlington Boulevard in Arlington, Virginia. Details are available at arlingtonrose.org. Happy gardening! Get low-maintenance alternative salons with the new book, Ground Cover Revolution, by Kathy Jentz. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in home ownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional, everyday grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape, and now are looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of perfect lawn is knowing how and when to replace your turf and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need. Included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants that are perfect choices for replacing a grass lawn. There are options for sun, for shade, for dry and wet sites, and for various climates around the globe. There are choices that bloom, options that are evergreen, and selections that are deer-resistant. Author Kathy Jens has also included an incredibly useful chart that gives you all the details on each of the 40 choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea of what a beautiful lawn should be. Available at bookstores now and also at Quarto.com, where you can get 30% off using discount code GARDENING30. In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. This is the last word on cooking with apples by Christy Page of the Food Gardening Network. My absolute favorite thing to do every fall is to make an apple pie, or really just about anything with apples. After having fun apple picking, I get to put the fruits of my labor, pun totally attended, to good use. Over the years, I've perfected my apple pie recipe to the point where I don't even need to look up the instructions. It's all muscle memory. Now this didn't happen all at once. It was truly a process. Years ago, I worked with an elderly woman who had Parkinson's. I was in college and took a part-time job as her companion. 
I spent my Saturdays taking her grocery shopping, helping her with odd projects around the house, and baking. She taught me her secret to the flakiest pie crust I have ever had. It's now the only recipe I'll use. To make an apple pie, I took hints and tips from my mother, my grandmother, and even Betty Crocker. Each year, I'd make one and tweak it just a little bit until I knew it was right. The year I knew it was perfect was actually my second year of marriage. After dragging my husband apple picking with me, I planned a day of baking. He went off fishing with a friend while I took over the kitchen. I decided to make two pies this year, and after a couple of hours of labor, they were cooling on the racks, and I ran out to do some errands. When I came home, I was happy to see that my husband was already there. I wasn't as happy once I walked through the door. Both he and his friend were sitting on the couch, each holding a pie pan and a fork. Both pies were just about completely gone. My husband told me it was good and very graciously offered me a bite. I may have seen red that day. Years later, I can laugh about it and know that that was the day that I knew my recipe was perfect. My husband has learned to only eat one slice at a time now. To me, it's not truly fall until my first apple pie is baking in the oven. My kid's favorite part is when I roll out the extra pie dough, cover it with butter, cinnamon, and sugar, and roll it up like a crescent roll. And then we bake it into something we like to call a cinnamon twist up. I will admit to making extra pie dough to make sure we have enough to make these every single time. We have lots of healthy apple recipes as well. I love to make homemade applesauce with just a touch of cinnamon and nutmeg apple coffee cake that has just a tiny bit of sugar and relies on sweeter apples. Caramel apples, which may not be healthy, but are so delicious, and so many more. Come to think of it, at least 50% of all my baking in a year comes in the fall and usually contains apples. I've even learned that you can freeze fresh apples to use in baking later, which is just perfect for a pie at Christmas. As soon as that first fall bite is in the air, I'm pulling out my recipes and planning my baking schedule. I just love this time of year. This was the last word on cooking with apples with Christy Page at foodgardening.com. Well, hey there, garden lovers. This is Ray Eaton, founder of Discover Garden Tours. I'm here to invite you all to join us next April and experience the beauty of Dutch gardening and horticulture on our Discover the Netherlands tour. Please join us and speaker, author, and social media influencer Kathy Jentz for this once-in-a-lifetime garden adventure. We'll visit private and public gardens, flower shows and auctions, and much, much more. Highlights include the Kuchenhof Gardens, Hortus Botanicus Leiden, and the Flora Holland Flower Auction. The tour dates are from April 16th through April 25th, 2024. Full details and registration are available on our website at discoverourtours.com. Remember, space is limited, so if you don't want to miss out, I would highly recommend signing up today. We look forward to seeing you in the Netherlands and sharing this unforgettable journey together. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to 
anchor.fm slash GardenDC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to WashingtonGardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.